great verse uh, from James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And we're just thankful uh, that this morning we have a Heavenly Father who does not change, and every good and perfect gift comes down from Him, including the rain that we had last night. We're so thankful for that. Um, Let's just bow our heads and say a word of prayer uh, before we continue this morning. Uh, our Father in heaven, we're just grateful and thankful that we can, that we can call you that. That you are uh, near to us. You have called us into your family by the blood of Christ. And Lord, we just pray that as we gather this morning, you would help us to put aside the distractions of the week and to set our hi- hearts and our minds on you in a fresh way. Uh, We pray that as we are encouraged and challenged by your word in a little bit, uh, that you would, your Holy Spirit would take that truth and apply it to our hearts. We just thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. and happy Father's Day. Seems appropriate that, well, yesterday was Juneteenth, which is the day that uh, slaves in the South were freed two years after they were declared free. So it's called Freedom Day also. Uh, Today is Father's Day. So the subject today touches on children who are free. And so we called it, uh, I called it Family Freedom today to talk about the, the freedom in the family of God and what that means to be free. So, uh, in summary, family freedom fears God first um, and then honors everyone. So, family freedom fears God first and then honors everyone. So, as we go continue on our series in Matthew, um, we'll be finishing up chapter 17. If you want to turn there a moment, the last four verses, Pastor Steve is on vacation right now, so filling in for him, and we will just continue on where we left off. There's a few questions that came to my mind as I read through and considered this passage. One is, why is Jesus' answer about taxes in this passage different than when somebody asked him about taxes before? And he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. It's a little different answer this time, so why? Then the question of who are the sons and who are the citizens? And uh, what does that have to do with the tax as well? And then Jesus asked Peter a question, what do you think? And so as we go through this, um, I would encourage all of us to ask ourselves, what do I think? Jesus calls his disciples to think, and we'll see that question a couple more times in these upcoming chapters, what do you think? And so uh, that's an important question, what do you think? And then finally, Maybe not finally, but why did Jesus only pay the tax for himself and Peter? Um, So, let's pray, and then we'll read these verses. Lord Jesus, thank you that you brought us into a relationship with your Father as our Father. Thank you that today, as we commemorate Father's Day, we can each one 
know that we're in a relationship with a Father that cares for us, that directs our paths, that loves us, and who has communicated with us, and that we can communicate directly with Him. I thank you for your word. I pray that as we open it this morning and consider it, that your spirit would move, that we would hear what you have to say to us this morning. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew chapter 17 and verses 24 through 27. It says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So just four verses here this morning. Just want to talk a little bit about the setting here. So we're, we are in Capernaum, which is very top of that map. Um, and Capernaum was a place where Jesus moved to when he heard that John the Baptist was put in prison. Jesus went and he lived in Capernaum. It's also where uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John lived. And that's where Jesus met them and called them to be his followers, perhaps other disciples as well. It was a very privileged town. And back in chapter 11, we read that Jesus said, if the things that had been done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they would have repented. So Capernaum saw a lot of miracles done by Jesus, and they heard a lot of Jesus' teachings. And so we're here um, now, probably months if not weeks, before Jesus' death and resurrection. And so, as we go through these next few chapters, there's kind of a, a series of teachings that Jesus is delivering. And then he starts the pathway down to Jerusalem to meet the cross. And so, this is, I think Pastor Steve mentioned last week, maybe six months before the crucifixion. Uh, maybe a matter of weeks. Maybe seven or eight months until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and formed the church, uh, just a short time before these monumental events are going to take place. And Jesus has been talking for the first time in chapter 16 about the church and how he's going to build the church on this stone. And he says that about Peter. And so we learn, start to learn about living stones being made into the temple of God, called the church. So something new, Jesus is going to build, and it's foundational here in these uh, passages. So something new is going on here in Capernaum. And then there's this question of the temple tax, or the tax. It says, uh, my translation says, the two drachma tax. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what that tax is. And um, there's a shekel up there on the top right-hand corner, and that's four drachmas. So that's enough for two people. So that's why Jesus said, 
get the shekel, pay for you and me. But this is not a tax to Caesar. It's not a tax to the civil government. And it's not a tax made up by man. So if, you were, if you've heard the story before or remember the story before, there was a point in Jesus' life and ministry where people came to him and said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And what did Jesus say? He said, show me a coin. Whose picture is on that coin? And they said, it's Caesar. And he said, well, that belongs to Caesar then, doesn't it? So just give it to Caesar. Well, that's not what he says here. He doesn't say, just give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he asks, do the sons pay the tax or others? And the, question, the answer is sons. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. But this two drachma tax is something that was actually instituted by God. And so I want to uh, read that together um, in Exodus. I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, but if not, you can turn over to Exodus chapter 30 so that we kind of have a little bit of understanding what this tax is about. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So we know from other stories in the Old Testament that taking a census in Israel could be risky. When David did it, it cost many lives in the children of Israel's nation because they were doing it in a proud way. Let's see how big we are, see how mighty we are. And so evidently the Lord institutes this atonement for the people who are counted so that they would not be spirit, or would not be killed. But the usage of it was for the service of the temple. So that money was taken and it was used to maintain the temple, probably to support the priests who brought offerings into the temple. The people couldn't go in themselves. The priests would. The priests were dedicated to the service of the temple, and so they needed uh, financial support so that they could eat. And so this was... This tax is not something that the publicans, those despised people who collected taxes for the Romans from the Jews and added their own amount to, it wasn't that tax. You can see right here, they were only asking for the exact amount that Jehovah had instituted over a thousand years before. So this was not the same kind of tax as that instance where the, the publicans or tax collectors and other stories who are despised people. This is workers, basically workers, patriotic Israelites who are wanting to support the temple. So I think that adds a little bit of help for us to understand uh, this passage. And so 
in this short little story, there's some, some issues of conflict coming together and change. First of all, Peter is kind of the central character here. And Peter is, maybe he's on the edge, away from the Lord a little bit, or ahead or behind, maybe he's preparing. Anyway, they come to him and ask him this question, does Jesus pay the, the temple tax? It's possible that by this time they had heard Jesus say, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And maybe there were some other things that were making them think, I don't think this, this man is really 100% behind this temple thing. And so they asked Peter, and Peter, you know, he, he's paid the temple tax all his life, no doubt. And he says, yes, he does. Doesn't seem like he has any, any thought or question here. He just says, yes. But then when, when he comes into the house there in Capernaum, so the collectors have come to him, then Jesus comes to him. And Jesus says, uh, Peter, I've got a question for you. So we're in this transition period, and there was, I'm just going to go ahead and put these things on the screen so I don't have to. <laughs> there was a temple previously. Now Jesus is talking about building a church. There were citizens of the nation of Israel. You know, Peter talks in his epistle about there being a citizenship before, but now Jesus has talked to them about being sons. He's talked to them about God as their father. That, that was a little different, wasn't it? He said, you can be like your father. He says, your father cares for you. The way that you treat others should reflect the way your father treats the people in this world. So we're going this shift from citizenship to um, sons. And the sons are free, Jesus says. And Peter, well, Peter says, and Jesus agrees. And then they have this option. Are we going to offend or are we going to pay? So these, these things are coming together in a little bit of conflict in this story that needs to be resolved. So in this transition period between the Jewish system and the church system, the temple and the church, the citizens and the children, Peter's learning new things, no doubt, every day from Jesus. And some of the old habits might die a little slow. Some things maybe he just didn't think about. And that's why this question, what do you think, is important. Because sometimes we can kind of do things day by day or week by week or month by month or season by season. We just do things and we don't stop and say, what do I think? Is what I'm doing is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it right? Well, Peter just took this in the flow of things, and, and Jesus stops him and says, Peter, what do you think? I told you I'm going to build you up as a living stone. Maybe you've heard about this temple. It's going to come down. You know, you were telling me how great it is, and I told you it's going to come down. Do you think we should be putting our money into that? Are we, are we citizens or are we sons? And so Peter thinks, and he says, uh, we're sons. So, part of going from citizens to sons, and we're going to turn to 1 Peter in a little bit here, but one of the things First Peter that Peter tells us that I think he maybe begins to learn here is that 
we are all now priests. God has made us a kingdom of priests, and we're going to see what that means in a little bit. But so the, the, the maintenance doesn't need to go to this building in Jerusalem, and it doesn't need to go to a special class of people in Jerusalem who are the priests and who are the temple. So there's this period of transition. And in periods of transition, there are all these lessons to learn, aren't there? I, uh, three years ago, I got, we had at the company I worked for, Wellmark, we had a, a meeting of the whole IT department, over 200 people gathered in a great big conference room with all this exciting news about a new way we we're going to be operating. New projects we're going to do, things, everything's going to get better. And there's little, this little footnote that if you're impacted, somebody will reach out to you. Well, guess what? I went back to my desk and I had a meeting in 15 minutes to go to. So I went to the meeting and they said, um, you're impacted. The plans don't include you. So that was, that was a little bit insulting to my ego, but on the whole, I'm, I'm well, 100%, I'm happy that that happened. God was, God was bringing me through a transition. But you know that last two weeks that I was there, I still had friends there, and they maybe wanted to do lunch with me. There were some people that wanted to know a little bit about what I knew, where I had my documents, what the status of this project was. But as we went through that time, less and less people cared if I was at their meeting or not. You know, that was kind of a weird feeling, but that's part of a transition, isn't it? And this is part of this time that we're reading about in Matthew that we've been reading about for, for some time and that we'll continue to read about. Things are changing. Things are changing, and we have to start paying attention. Who's, who's the new priest? Who's, what's this new temple? What's the church mean? What are all these things that Jesus is talking about, and what is their implication? Because we're 2,000 years later, and we've We've read the epistles of Paul. You know, we maybe know a little bit more about how this all works, but it helps to learn the lessons that we should learn from this to kind of understand where Peter's coming from here, right? So, this is in a time of transition, and so there is this conflict between the old way and the new way, the old things and the new things. Um, And so, Peter has been operating kind of on autopilot here, perhaps. Now, um, another thing that related to the temple and the sons, John the Baptist, and, and um, we heard it this morning in the first service, he told the Pharisees, he said, God can raise up children from stones. So this is, this is kind of interesting too, isn't it? Because these were people who were descendants physical descendants, they could trace DNA back to Abraham. And Abraham was the one that got the promises. And to Abraham and his offspring, the promises were made. And so they were claiming that. It's like, we've got DNA with Abraham. And John the Baptist says, God can raise up offspring from these rocks. And then he calls Peter a rock or a stone. And he says, I'm going to build my church out of these living stones, which is, I'm one. I'm a living stone built in the church of God. So, this transition from a nation, from a 
genetic heredity to children of God is part of this transition. So then finally, there's this conflict between are we going to pay or are we going to offend? And so this word offend here is going to come up in chapter 18 right away several times. And there's a pretty serious implication of offending when Jesus talks about that in the next chapter. He says, if you offend one of these little ones um, who believes in me and you cause them to sin, it would have been better for you if a, a big stone were put around your neck and you were just thrown into the sea. That's how serious it is to offend. So Jesus here, he is not going to cause offense by taking the freedom that he could rightly take. So I think this is something good for us, you know, as, as believers in Jesus, as sons of God. We can claim the highest authority that there is. We're followers, disciples of Jesus, who is made Lord of all. He's been given a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So does that mean we can go around with our chest puffed out and our elbows stuck out and say, I'm a son. I don't have to listen to anybody. My dad owns this place. No, that's not how Jesus did it. He said, lest we cause offense, go throw your hook in the water. The first fish you catch is going to have this shekel. So Peter does, and um, well, I'm assuming it doesn't say here explicitly that Peter does, but he does. And that's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? Because I don't know where exactly the miracle happened. If it was, you know, if this fish had been swimming around with the shekel for a long time, or if it happened as it saw Peter's hook, or where. But God, as the creator, and Jesus as the creator, knew which fish that was going to be, made the provision that that shekel was going to be there when the hook pulled it in and Peter found the shekel. Just as Jesus promised, it happened. So, what can we learn from that? Well, when God gives us a job to do, we don't have to worry about the cost of it, do we? And uh, paying taxes is not always this easy. Sometimes it, I mean, usually we have to work for it, but Jesus knew Peter didn't have the two drachma, I'm sure, and so he, he just provides it for him. And God has a, a great way of doing that. I, this wasn't a matter of need for me, but I remember a time where I decided to give a monthly amount to a ministry that I appreciated, um, and I was going to do it through my employer's uh, payroll program, because then they would match what I gave. So I thought, this is great. I can give X per month, and they'll give X per month. And so I signed up, and I hit finish, and I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, I said give it every two weeks instead of every month. So I, I gave twice as much as I planned on, and honestly, I was a stingy giver. Um, and so I, I was kind of a, ashamed of myself anyway a little bit, and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to go back and say, oh, I didn't mean to be that generous. Um, nobody would have been impressed. But God used that to teach me something, because the first paycheck that that came out of my paycheck was higher than before. I, I didn't get a raise. Um, 
it just so happened that a tax cut went into effect at that same time. And so I just, that was an impactful moment to me because I realized, you know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about being generous, and I wasn't being generous, but God that made this fish jump onto Peter's hook is the God that provides for each of us. And so things that we don't expect or plan can and do happen. And I, I felt like God was teaching me that lesson, just like he was probably teaching Peter that lesson. You know, don't worry about, it's just money. My dad used to say that too. He's like, it's just money. Um, and he didn't have very much. He told me one time, if, if you have a little extra money, you better spend it before something else comes up. <laughs> so it is, it's just money. And God provided for him, God's provided for me, um, and for his widow. So God provides. We can trust him. So what are some of the things that Peter seemed to learn from this? I, as I ask myself that question, because when you read the Word of God, it's good to think about the audience that first read this. You know, if a prophet wrote this, had said this to the children of Israel, it's good to think, what did that mean to them? You know, what was their circumstance? What was this situation that he's talking about? What did it mean to them? What did this mean to Peter? That's, that's kind of a helpful thing to think about. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, some of these things sound familiar. And I turned over to 1 Peter, and I, I read chapter 2, and I'm reading things about living stones. I'm reading things about freedom. I'm reading things about not offending. I'm reading things about honoring all people and fearing God and about children. So I thought that, that might be part of what Peter learned in this situation. So I, I do want to uh, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll just notice a few of these things. So first of all, we learn in 1 Peter 2 that we are the temple. So it says in verse 4, As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So Peter learned that we are the temple, the people that are children of God. Those that have come into that relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior are brought in to the church of God and built up a living stone. We're a temple. So a couple things from that. One is that we are children. We have been made alive. And we didn't necessarily have that right as, as dead stones, but God made us living stones in the temple of God. But he also built us together. So if you think of a, a stone building and you picture the stones scattered all over the hillside, is it a building? No, it's not a building. It's stones scattered all over. God has built us together. And so he intends for us to be together. We're not together all the time physically, but we need to have fellowship with one another, don't we? Some of it we get um, in person when we're here like this morning or other times that we might gather with other individuals and have fellowship over God's Word 
and enjoyment of Jesus were being built up together in that temple. We do go out, um, we'll see too, where we are among the world. It's not like we just have our little compound that we're, we're together all the time, but we do need to be together. The, the stones are put together to be the spiritual house. But then verse 5 goes on, so we are, uh, we are the temple. Verse 5 goes on and it says, uh, you are being built up to be a holy priesthood. So there's two different kinds of priesthoods or two adjectives for priesthoods that Peter uses in this chapter. The first one is a holy priesthood. And what do we do as holy priests? We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So one of the things that priests did in Israel under Judaism is they would take offerings and offer them for the people. And they would take incense and offer it up to God as praise and worship. So we, all believers now, not just uh, men of the tribe of Levi, but all believers, all members of the church are holy priests. And our function, one of our functions is to offer sacrifices to God. And even back in Psalm, I think it's 50, God says, I'm not wanting you to bring cattle. I own all the cattle. I want you to bring thanksgiving. And Hebrews says something similar, that we would offer the fruit of our lips, even thanksgiving, praises to our God. So God wants us as holy priests to bring spiritual sacrifices, our worship, our thanksgiving, that is acceptable to God. Then down in verse 9, um, it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So here's another adjective applied to us being priests. Royal. So we're holy, we're acceptable to God, and we're royal. And what does a royal priest do? I think um, a royal priest proclaims Later in the verse, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So another function of the priest is to bring God's message to the people. So we, as royal priests, children of the king, are to bring the excellencies of Jesus to those around us. So God has called us out of darkness. Our lifestyle was one of darkness. We didn't know God. We didn't obey God. We didn't understand God. But now he's called us into light. We know the truth about ourselves. We know the truth about God. And so those excellencies, those excellent things, are now part of our joyful responsibility as royal priests to offer acceptable, to proclaim the excellence of Jesus. And then, so, um, we are priests. Then finally, Peter also says um, in verses 15 and 17, he talks about how that we are free. And he says, uh, for this is the will of God, in verse 15, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, Live as people who are free, 
not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So this is what freedom looks like. This is what the freedom of children looks like. First of all, you could say here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like saying, oh, I'm free. I'm not under the law. I can do whatever I want. I can sin. That's not what freedom of children looks like. Freedom of children carries the character of the Father. And so he said uh, there, not as a covering for sin. Not as a cover-up for evil in verse 16, but as servants of God. So freedom looks like, I guess we, you don't have that up there, do you? Freedom is living as people who are free, not a cover-up for sin. Sin does not bring us into freedom. Sin is what brought us into bondage. And so that freedom is freedom from sin, freedom to live like children of God. And that's something that when we're born again, we have a new life, a life that can please God. We have the Holy Spirit in us, a power that that gives us the strength to overcome sin and to live in a way that reflects our Father. And we have the Word of God. He's given it to us with very clear instructions as to what His expectations are for us and what, what the, they're not. But then, remember Jesus said to Peter, in order not to cause offense, pay the tax. And so, here's this... this uh, series of very short statements here um, in verse 17. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. That is, uh, does not come naturally to human beings. <laughs> and it, it seems, I, I may be wrong, but it seems like social media and media in general has made it easier not to honor everyone. We don't have to hear somebody face to face. We don't have to hear their heart coming through their message. We can hear a clip of it that somebody else decided they wanted us to hear. So we make a judgment about them, and then we, we can easily fire back at them, right? We can say something that's not honoring to them. Peter says, honor everyone. He learned that from Jesus, and we can learn that from Jesus, and we can learn that from Peter. Then it says, love the brotherhood. So Jesus said, you're sons. And if we're sons, that means we've got brothers. So there's a lot of brothers and sisters in this room that Peter says, love them. Love them. And that's not, that's not always this easy, warm feeling that we get because sometimes we're still, we still have some of that non-living stone about us, you know, and I rub, rub people the wrong way, maybe like a little bit more like sandpaper. But as you love me, you can kind of look past that, maybe help me a little bit with it, rather than um, separating, right? Because we're built up as living stones in the house of God. So love the brotherhood, and then fear God. Fear God. And so often, 
again, I don't know if this is, this is particularly new to this culture where information flies around the world so quickly, but we can be afraid of men and their opinions of us. Are they, gonna, are they still going to like me? Are they still going to respect me? Then we have a wrong view of the people around us because we are to fear God. It doesn't say fear man. It says honor man. We fear God and God alone. And we serve God, and really we serve God alone because as we serve our fellow man, we're doing it as serving God, right? And so we have this freedom. I can submit myself to the authority of this community when they um, tell me I need to stop somewhere or go a certain speed or when they pull me over or tell me I can't do fireworks when I want to. I can submit to that authority not because they have that right necessarily over me. I could say, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm free. No, we submit to them as to the Lord. And Peter said that earlier in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So if that human institution says you can't worship God, you must do this or that that's outside what Jesus told us to do, then we shouldn't obey because we, we can't submit to a human authority as to the Lord if the human authority is telling us do something different than Jesus told you. But this is not what it's talking about when it says, um, finally, honor the emperor. So God has put authorities in our life and in the civil realms, in the church even, and we are to honor those. And Jesus set that example before Peter when he said, nevertheless, you know, you're, you're paying for a temple that's going to be destroyed in 30, 40 years from now. It's going to be leveled. The priesthood there is going away. I told you you're going to be a new building. There's not a whole lot of point in investing in that temple, but we're going to do it because we don't want to offend and cause offense. Jesus is offensive enough in what he teaches us about ourselves. And we need to be faithful to that. There's things that are... are um, we don't like to hear about ourselves being sinners, you know? And so if that's what causes offense, so be it. But we shouldn't cause offense because we're standing up for our own rights as children. I hope that makes sense, what I'm saying. <laughs> um, we as Christians probably shouldn't be proclaiming, don't tread on me. <laughs> Jesus took that low place. He was in the form of God. What did he take on? The form of a servant. And that is the mind that is supposed to be in us. So as we honor everybody, especially the emperor, and we fear God and God alone, we will be, I think, learning what Peter learned from Jesus in this incident and others that we're reading in Matthew 17. So, just looking back at the questions I asked at the beginning, I think, I think we've covered all of them except for why did Jesus 
only provide for himself and Peter, and I have no idea. So, <laughs> and if, if you tell me you know, I will be skeptical. <laughs> but I, I did find that an interesting uh, scenario. Maybe somebody does know. Uh, so, in conclusion, as believers, we are to live free, live free. Like sons, living from free from sin, not living in sin. We are to be in community with the brotherhood, the church of God. We are to be free from unnecessary offense. And we are to be subject to the powers that be, not fearful of the powers that be, only fearing God. So the powers that be, if they tell us, you have to do this. And like they told Peter and John, you cannot preach Jesus anymore. Peter and John said, we have to obey God. We're going to preach Jesus. And they put him in prison. They killed him. They weren't afraid of those powers that be. They wouldn't obey the powers that be because of the consequences that they could inflict on them, namely um, capital punishment. They lived free from that. But they did pay the taxes that they owed them. As Jesus said, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, and so I wanted to talk just briefly. You know, this is Father's Day, and not everybody has a good relationship with their father. Not everybody knows even who their father is. Um, but God is adopting. If I could, well, yes, I can put it that way. God adopts children. So he, in John chapter 1 there, you can see, to all who receive Jesus, to those he gave the right to be the children of God. So today, I hope that all of us are sons, children of God, but the way you become a child of God is receiving Jesus, confessing with your mouth that he is Lord, believing in your heart that he died and God raised him from the dead. And so this morning, I trust that you've all put your faith, that you have received Jesus, and that you are children of God, and then that you can go forth living free, because Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. There's a lot of ways that we view freedom and liberty that are actually redefinitions of bondage, and that falls into those categories of sin that we can pursue things that God has told us not to pursue, and they'll bring us into bondage. And that's not what God wants for his children. He wants us free. So, friends, I pray that you're all free. I pray that you're all sons, children of God, and that on this Father's Day, um, you can honor your earthly father and that you can honor your heavenly father and live in fear of your heavenly father in the sense of honor and respect that is due to him. And then as the, the band begins to play here in a, in a moment, we will take communion together. And so they, there should be little cups with the little wafer in the top to remind us of the body of Jesus broken for us. You can take that and uh, break it if you are a child of God, if you're part of the family of God, partake of that.
in remembrance of Jesus' body given for us. And then there's the grape juice. That's a reminder of the blood of Jesus shed for us, the price that was paid to bring us into the family of God. You can take that and drink it in remembrance of Jesus. Let me give thanks. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body given for us, for your blood shed for us. Thank you that you brought us into relationship with God as our Father. Thank you that we can live free, that you've given us a clear path for walking in this world among fellow believers and also among unbelievers. Help us to reflect your character, God, in this world as we walk as children and to enjoy the freedom that you have brought us into. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.